Hi, my name is Joe Norris, and I beat the often path by creating carbon capture technology that is for the people. Joe Norris is a climate scientist, materials engineer, and artist combining all three in the climate tech startup space. She's the co-founder and CEO of Carbon Reform, a startup that's built a device that removes carbon from the air and a whole bunch of other nasty things like COVID and viruses, etc., and it safely stores that carbon into sustainable building materials that can be used to build other buildings. It also improves indoor air quality and reduces HVAC costs by up to 40%. It's one of those wild, too-good-to-be-true ideas that I'm just so excited about. And I'm not the only one. Carbon Reform has raised over $3.5 million to date, and the future looks bright for them and, by extension, us all. So joining us right now is Joe Norris. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Well, welcome to the show, Joe. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I'll tell you what I love. I love magical boxes that you just put somewhere and you print money after making this box. <laughs> tell me about the magical box that you devised and how the heck did you come up with it? Well, I will let you know uh, when it starts printing money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So Check. far, it's just eating money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, my co-founder, Nick Martin, and I um, were both part of the uh, sustainable and environmental technology field. Uh, prior to starting Carbon Reform. And what we wanted to do was to produce a technology that would have a measurable impact on climate change. Um, and A noble goal. Thank you. <laughs> um, and by doing that, we also wanted to take a look around us and not just, you know, plop something in the middle of nowhere that was maybe going to have a, a large impact environmentally, but was really not going to touch the lives of humans in a tangible way. Um, so what we decided to do was to look at existing infrastructure, look at existing networks, both uh, physical and digital, um, and then act on what we saw as an opportunity so um, we've produced now the carbon capsule, which is a unit that retrofits into an HVAC system, and it captures CO2, carbon dioxide, from the built environment. Um, and our version of this technology actually captures CO2 from indoor air. Um, so it's the air that we're breathing, and uh, especially you know the air that most people are sitting in 90% of their time. And... We capture the CO2, we turn it into a limestone product that can be used for green construction or other purposes. Um, but in addition to capturing CO2, we also capture volatile organic compounds, VOCs, um, particulate matter of several different uh, sizes. So uh, I don't know where you're located, but we're all on the East Coast. California, uh, in the Northeast. opposite coast. So you've seen it too, the the smoke, um, oh, yeah. and I think it was our our first time really on, on the in the Northeast U.S. But uh, very recently we had the the Canadian wildfires, I saw that. which horrific, um, exactly. And so you know that was producing particulate matter. So we capture that, um, and then we also have UVC uh, disinfection for viruses and bacteria. So we can you know kill COVID indoors as well. So by combining all of these things, what we can actually do is displace a portion of the outside air that's typically brought in as supply, which is where a large chunk of building energy goes for heating and cooling. Um, so we can reduce the overall energy usage of the building 
and we can actually like impact people's everyday life by making their air healthier. See, that's the part that I find so wild. I love stuff like this because you're tackling I, I don't know if that will fully sink in the first time you said that for a lot of people <laughs> listening because it's a lot. But yeah. that's a three for one thing that you're describing and the fact right. that it might mitigate COVID or any other kind of viral disease. Right. That's just a wild bonus. And that's the kind of thing that I love because it's like most people don't assume that these things are connected or that there's possible gains on all three of those different fronts. It's like pick one and, and focus on that. Um, you're not the first person that I've talked to that has identified that buildings are a massive source of carbon emission. And your mm -hmm. uh, website says something like, what, 40% of all emissions come from buildings. Am I correct in yes. that? Yes. Yep, so right. there's a massive problem there, and it's an interesting way to inject into this. But the part that I'm very fascinated by at the start is how on earth does having this unit require less air and reduce your HVAC costs on an individual level? Yeah, and, and truly the key to that is the carbon capture. Um, so other... Uh, types of technology can filter your air, right? So, you know, you have um, different types of indoor air quality technologies, uh, but none of those take out the CO2. And that's the piece that humans are producing CO2 all the time indoors. A shocking I amount. I produce you know? a, a shocking amount of CO2 on this <laughs> podcast alone. That's the one thing right. that my comments consistently tell me. <laughs> that you're full of hot air? Oh, my God, um, yeah. <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah. Um, but so essentially, if you take out the CO2, which typically is done through ventilation, you keep the indoor air healthy. So if you're replacing just pure ventilation with actually cleaning the air and taking out the CO2 directly, that's how the energy savings piece is unlocked. Because if you're just taking, VO, I mean, even all of the other things, right, VOCs, particulates, viruses and bacteria, you're still left with that CO2 and no one has created a technology that is able to be integrated into the building and at a very low energy point, take out and permanently store the CO2 as captured carbon. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And that's where the kind of mineralization aspect happens with storing the CO2 as well. That's amazing. Before we jump into that quick question, if you go to Home Depot, there are those filters and they have a scale mm -hmm. rating from one to 10. The 10 is the most expensive. Does any of that do anything? Does the 10th, because the 10th yes. one will say it removes <laughs> mold and all of that and the 8th doesn't. Does that matter at all? Yeah. I mean, and you shouldn't remove your air filters from, from your HVAC system by any means. Um, those are almost entirely particulate filtration. Um, so we have that as well in our device just to add a layer. Um, but that is, uh, what is required for, from ASHRAE, which is kind of the, the building's Bible, um, to be able to, to have in your HVAC system. And the size rating, um, is either for like particle size filtration, um, or just kind of a rating for like percentage of, uh, particulate matter that's going to be collected. That's very cool. Notice how I called it HVAC to make myself seem like I know what I'm talking about yeah. instead of HVAC. <laughs> that's like the one thing I know. I'm the least handy person. Whichever. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so yeah, a, a couple of interesting things. So storing this I, the carbon, which is a fascinating concept in and of itself, because what comes out of this is a white pellet of some kind, or what is the actual product, and how can that be used in green construction, for example? Yeah, so the input material is a um, hydroxide, which is what reacts with CO2 and um, forms carbonate. So the calcium carbonate, we're currently using calcium. We can use other types of carbonates as well. Um, but the calcium carbonate is essentially limestone. Um, and limestone is something that's typically mined. Uh, so by producing it in the way that we produce it, we can actually um, replace a certain amount of mined material. Limestone on its own can be used in uh, concrete production as an aggregate material. So like the larger chunks of stuff that are typically bound together with cement. Um, and the reason why we would want it to go into that process as opposed to another process is because it would stay as limestone rather than having the CO2 re-released if it was made back into a hydroxide, for example, or if it was um, processed in a different way. So um, the good thing is, you know, our baseline business model doesn't depend on the sale of that material, although we would like to sell that material. Um, so we can actually uh, dictate a little bit of where that gets used so that we can keep our life cycle carbon negative. Incredible. Incredible. And is this for industrial applications only or residential as well? What kind of HVAC systems could benefit from this? So um, primarily commercial HVAC systems we have received some interests on the residential side, um, and we've actually developed a smaller product called the Carbon Canister um, that works really well in like uh, fitness centers and gyms, um, classrooms, uh, and potentially in homes as well. But we would need to kind of build the maintenance network around that. So we're going to market with the more commercial side um, because it's just kind of easier to tap into uh, the potential um, networks around logistics and maintenance, you know, transportation of the materials in and out. Um, but the the concept can work in residential systems, but the HVAC systems in, in residences are, um, especially single family residences, are, are somewhat different. So um, potentially we would go, you know, full commercial and then uh, like multifamily, and then we would look at single family later on. Very cool. Uh, on your website, you also mentioned sick building syndrome. I love catchy names like that. What is sick building syndrome? <laughs> it kind of depends who you ask. Um, and that's why it's such a vague name. Um, it could be a good thing, been... like that building is sick. <laughs> not, not typically a good thing, although, like, yo. uh, <laughs> you know, Frank there, there's Lloyd Wright sick... Building, sick building syndrome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. We'll have Continue. to call that like rad building syndrome yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's, so typically it's uh, it's this kind of like nondescript. Uh, everyone in the building is getting sick and we're not really sure why. Um, you know, sometimes it's something <laughs> as serious as like asbestos or mo right. mold, um, which, right. you know, they found in my old high school and then they, they tore no. it down and <laughs> built no. a new one. Yeah. Oh um, but... Right. Or, or like lead paint. Like there's all kinds right. of different things it could be. Right. But what we're also seeing is that sick building syndrome often is linked to indoor air quality. 
Um, and because most buildings have these sort of minimum requirement regulations that they follow for particulate matter, like we were talking about, um, usually it's something else. And so it could be VOCs, like if you have um, a lot of new furniture, new carpets that like have chemicals kind of coming off of them, uh, and you're not testing for that, that could be something. But a lot of the time, and, and what we're seeing in new research is that it is CO2. Um, and CO2 is causing people to get really tired very easily. Um, it's causing people to have these kind of like cognitive um, deficiencies a lot of the time. So, um, and there have been kind of these, these blind studies done now and new research coming out all the time that carbon dioxide, even in the increase of, you know, a couple hundred parts per million is really affecting the way that people live and work and learn. Um, so that's why, you know, schools are, are definitely of interest to us, but also office environments, um, you know, it's hurting the bottom line for companies. It's a productivity consideration. So that's kind of where sick building syndrome comes in. And it's hard to measure, but it is uh, certainly something that we're trying to make people more aware of uh, because that's the, the direct health impact of carbon dioxide that we're talking about. So pretty much every single day, my wife tells me that I have a cognitive deficiency. Is it possible <laughs> that my building is responsible for this? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I can blame yeah. an external factor on this. Yeah. It's not my fault that I'm an idiot. Isn't, that's, that's my lifelong dream. I just want to be able to blame someone or something. Um, it's, this, it's the invisible gas that you can't even yeah, see. Exactly. Smell, so. <laughs> uh, that's what the dentist keeps telling me, too. It's always that <laughs> invisible gas that gets you. Uh, super, super interesting stuff. And uh, one of those things that the average person is just simply not considering, I think in any meaningful sense, right. That, that, that might be happening is a non thought. I'm quite sure for most people. Right. Um, yeah. So how on earth I'm always fascinated by, I mean, your intentions are pure. You have a great concept. You have a desire to get into this space. You have a co-founder. How does one go from that desire to building a physical product like this and to actually making a company out of something like that? I mean, the nature of this podcast is that it's different for everyone, right? I mean, I think for me, it almost happened by accident. I mean, it was every choice was intentional, but the overall vision wasn't always there. Um, it is now, which is nice to kind of have a path forward. <laughs> um, right. But... For me, like I was consistently stuck in the cycle of academia where I felt that I had to learn and learn and learn before I could do. And that was like, if someone had just told me like several years earlier <laughs> that that was something that wasn't necessary and that most people, almost everyone doesn't know what they're doing when they start to do it. Um that or, would have been really even good advice. Well into their thirties. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, well, well into their seventies. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> right. now, I'm not going to get political, but <laughs> look who's running the country yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right. So stricken from like, the record. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you can put that out there. Everyone's pretty aware of what my political yes. stance is. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but. I mean, I'm a climate tech founder, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to I know hard to keep it in. Yeah, uh, you Which can cut we, that out. If we you do want our to. best to avoid it. No, it's all good. It adds the color yeah. commentary. 
It humanizes right. the whole thing, I've found. I've oh, been yes. told, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so for me, it was really like, first off, having a co-founder who was going to essentially bully me into starting the company when we started it, which was about a year and a half into my PhD, um, he had uh, convinced himself and hadn't told me that I was going to quit my PhD program eventually, Whoa. which did end up happening. <laughs> um, so, and then I don't regret it at all. I think it was a really good decision. I mean, I already had three degrees up until that point and I didn't really need the fourth, um, it, but so, I got yeah. what I needed out of the out of the program and in that I, you know, found the fundamental knowledge that I could, uh, that I could do this essentially, um, on my own and, and with the support of the team behind me. So step so, one is to have a psychic co-founder. Yes. It, yeah. That helps okay. a lot. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and I think, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, you ask about how do how do you build the product and everything? It's like, you don't just go ahead and do it, right? Like you have these little stepping points up until then where you build a little duct taped, literally, prototype and you see how that goes and then you build the next thing that's a little bit better and then you partner with people who are smarter than you and have better equipment and, you know, maybe you can get some money along the way, which is always nice when you can have investors that believe in you early on, which we do. So, you know, I think especially for hardware, like the build it in your garage thing only works so far. Um, but certainly the the advice to have mentors and to have people that are involved in your day-to-day decisions that you can look to, um, you can't replace that with anything. Yeah, that makes so much sense. One of these hotly contested topics in our culture right now, I think, is the role of education and school. And certainly a lot mm. of very successful internet entrepreneurs who are very prevalent on TikTok and Instagram and the like, there's a pretty strong push for anti-education, anti-college. I didn't go to college. I dropped out. I mean, I personally did. But people saying that they didn't go to school, they dropped out. What's the point of studying? What's the point of doing homework or any of that? when you can just focus on building a business and go forward and you don't need any of that. So having kind of had a toe in both of those worlds, do you think that your education was necessary to get here? Do you think that you can start any kind of business with or without an education? Or do you think that some sorts of businesses lend themselves to being started by people who have PhDs or master's degrees and others by people who have a GED or high school education? I don't think that there's a, I don't think you can categorize it one or the other. I don't think that like you can only build a, a climate tech hardware company if yeah. you have half only. a PhD and whatever, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I think uh, it's all about the person and, you know, their convictions. I do think that certain types of education are really necessary for, um, for building certain types of products, whether that's the founder that has that education or someone that they hire. I don't think that that matters as much. I think, you know, as a founder, something that I've found extremely important is being able to do every job before I hire for it. And certain jobs are certainly easier, um, knowing that I have the fundamental like scientific knowledge to be able to do it. That's not saying that I couldn't have learned it on my own, but for me, participating in, you know, institutional academics, first off, helped me learn that world for the the people that I was going to be hiring in the future, but also like 
literally taught me a lot about like polymer science, for example. Right. And that's um, kind of the stuff that I'm thinking about. Right. How would you have learned that otherwise? I mean, the, the internet is a beautiful place, right? Like the is MIT, I think, has like all kinds of classes online. Like if you are dedicated enough to learn it yourself, then you can. I just think that the people who are going to have the attention span and uh, motivation to learn it on their own are often the same types of people that will succeed in an academic degree. Right. So, you know, but if you're a visionary and you are a big picture thinker, I mean, helping like being an artist prior to any of the scientific stuff helped me equally as much because I also was, you know, as a co-founder running marketing and running like brand design. And like, that was also stuff that having some education, but also I was mostly self-taught on the graphic design side, like also really helped. And, and a lot of the time, I think, especially in like software startups, the founder is the person that has the, the best handle on the brand identity. And maybe that's all they need. They don't necessarily need to be able to code um, and coding. You can certainly learn mm. without going to school. So it, I think it's, it's this combination, right? And I think it's more of a personality thing. And I think it's more of a confidence thing to be able to just say, okay, well, I, I can figure this out. I know I have these skills and it's important to know what those are. And then moving forward, I'll just figure the rest out or I'll find somebody who already knows it. Makes perfect sense. And then recently I saw, maybe this is outdated, that you raised $3 million plus in funding. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you go about that process? I assume you had never done something like that before this project. Did you know that that was something that you were going to do to try to take on funding? And how did you approach the concept when you knew that you wanted to do it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we always had... Um, the idea that we would need a certain amount of capital to be able to scale the product, um, especially knowing how complex um, the, the hardware is. And I think most startups need some kind of capital, whether that's debt or uh, venture. Um, so, no, I had never uh, raised funding before. We had a, a friends and family round, um, but it was people who already kind of knew us and they were investing in the team more than anything else. And um, so it's so interesting now, like kind of looking back in hindsight, because I, I truly had no idea like what I was getting myself into. And I see other founders now um, who are doing the same thing. And I'm just like, man, best of luck. But like, <laughs> it's not the type of like wisdom that you can impart on somebody else other than like little tips and tricks. Right. So, and I'm, and I'm headed towards the same thing again. So we closed the seed round in uh, November of last year uh, that got us about, you know, 18 months of, of runway. And now we're heading towards a, a series A and we have these milestones that we need to hit before the series A. And, um, you know, we've got this long list of interested uh, prospective investors. And so I'm, I'm taking steps now to prepare myself a little bit better, but it's still going to be an extremely different process from raising the seed capital round. So, you know, I think there's no way to really prepare yourself for it unless you've really done it before. And even then, if it's a completely new idea, completely new product, new team, it's going to be different every time. It, the most important takeaway for me was just to maintain the faith in myself, in my team, in our ideas and our results. Um, and 
ultimately not pay attention to the people that were like, this is a stupid idea and you're full of hot air, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Because um, that's not helpful. That's why, that's it's not why productive. I brought you like, onto this show. I brought you onto this show to berate you <laughs> just to try to talk yeah, you out of it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's good practice. Yeah, exactly right. That's it. This is the, the training ground. Uh, so when you're talking to people and you're trying to sell them on this idea or trying to clue people in, what do you, what do you think has been the most exciting? What have people latched on to the most? What angle of the many has excited people the most or feels the most new? Well, I think that's what's so interesting about it is, so, you know, when I lead with what the technology is kind of in a general sense, I give you all of it at once. Yeah, right. That's not typically what I do when I'm talking okay. with customers because yeah. it is a little bit overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I think it's great, but other people are like, well, how can I do all this stuff at once? And I don't need all of this. And um, so I think the most exciting aspect of it has been learning which markets or which types of customers will latch on to which value propositions. So, you know, typically facilities uh, managers are interested in um, the fact that the maintenance is included in the price <laughs> um, and the fact that we will handle that and they don't have to do anything extra. Um, and then, you know, also the building owners or whoever's paying the bills are interested in the energy savings, interested in lowering the amount of uh budget that they'll have to have for energy usage or um, operating costs. Um, you know, people involved in education are very interested in student performance, student test scores, just overall health, and also the fact that it's a retrofit. So you don't have to have the capital budget to rip out your whole HVAC system or install a new one if you never had one in the first place, right? Um, so those are the types of kind of things that we're learning about uh, early customer types and what will excite them the most. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting having these different conversations and trying to predict ahead of time what we should lead with. Right. Uh, because then there are also people that are interested in all of it and really interested in the carbon capture and want to be on the cutting edge of technology. So those are the most fun conversations because we're like, well, look at what we're doing. That's like yeah. totally different than anybody else, you know? That's so cool. And for you personally, how does it feel being a part of this mission? How does it feel fighting the good fight, as it were? Do you wake up <laughs> feeling like you're on the right track, even when things are tough? Do you sometimes doubt whether it's the right track? I, I sometimes doubt whether it's going to be enough. Um, sure. But I think the, the key to that is just that I'm taking care of my little corner of the world and that's all I can do. Um, and it kind of keeps me from at least getting like nihilistic about mm. things, um, which I think is pretty easy to do, especially as a climate scientist right. um, and just as a person in the world right now. Uh, so it definitely helps to feel like I am every single day doing something to help somebody um, and I think that that like is something that I latch on to quite a bit. There are certain days where I wonder, you know, what could be next for me? Like if it's going to be another, you know, assuming we scale this successfully and I exit the company at some point, will I continue to work on climate issues or will I pivot to more of a um, very human centric approach to like work? 
Um, so, you know, I, I think a lot about the unhoused populations, especially I just moved to Philadelphia and I see, um, I see that a lot. And, you know, there are some, there are some parts of me that want to be more hands-on with problem solving, but then I think kind of more about it and I'm, I'm as hands-on as I can get in, in the like climate tech space. So I I don't know. I'm droning, but I feel like there are like a lot of different aspects of it that I think about, but I can't imagine myself in a career path where I'm not like actively working to solve a problem. Yep. That makes perfect sense. And I love that you said that because I often think about those differences myself, the human centered side versus the environment. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're all human issues at the end of the day, because right. if we don't have a place to live, well, we don't really have anywhere else to go. So earth is kind of our yeah. one shot for the foreseeable future for the, the next several yeah. lifetimes, at least of, you know, before we all merge with robots and uh, upload our consciousness and then no longer time <laughs> applies to us anymore. Um, but right, yeah, but someone's going to have to power those data centers. Right, somebody's so. going to have to get those <laughs> robots power. Um, yeah. You know, when Peter Thiel reaches 4,000 years old, then, you know, I'm sure he'll blissfully travel through the universe and find another habitable right. planet that he can control. Uh, but yeah, I often think about that as well. Also with the subject of, of my, my podcast and, and my work is because they're, they're, they're sort of different. And I care a lot about those things, you know, maybe to my detriment in terms of popularity, but I also care about animal rights and, you know, eating less meat and things that are just extremely unpopular in the world at large. And when I share those types of sentiments, they're often met with a lot of criticism, especially online, because it's not mm-hmm. popular. And then sometimes I also struggle with the the concept of whether or not, you know, what is the most important thing to be focusing on? Is animal rights more important than the homeless population? Is any of that more important than the fact that we are facing what appears to be a climate catastrophe? There's just so many different ways to go. So that's why I'm always interested in why and how people choose one thing and how they stay focused in the face of so much input and so much craziness, especially in this world that we're in now. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot as well. For me, it's really, it was really finding the thing that I could work on every day and not get burnt out. Um, And that's not to say that I don't ever get burnt out, but I think that there is a reaction that people have when you point out problems in the world and it puts them on the defensive, because if you're pointing out a problem that they're actively participating in, they feel like you're calling them out. Right. And sometimes that's the case, but most of the time it's just a remark on how things could be better. And I feel that in my personal life too, I'm typically not settling for just okay. Mm. Like I always want things to be better. And I know that that's a, that's not a destination, (laughs) you know, that's a, that's a way of life. Right. So if I can, yeah, like if I can just kind of gradually improve the things around me for anyone, for everyone, then I can be happy. And then I can allow myself to have this balance of like going to work and, and working on the climate problem and then going home and like, enjoying things like gardening or whatever and not think constantly about, Oh my God, the the world is falling apart around me. Like 
I, I'm allowed to enjoy things <laughs> as well. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, you can enjoy things and still and eat less meat, but, you know, other mm. people will eat more meat. Like it's just, exactly there's never going to be this like Pareto optimality. Right. And there's no necessarily like priority. I think being in the, the climate field for me has been really eye opening as to just how many people are working on things. And that's really refreshing to know because I feel like as a kid, when I started to learn about this, I was like, who was doing anything, you know, cause I didn't know about it. I didn't hear about it all the time. And now I am very tapped into my world, right. And, and the climate world. And there are thousands and thousands of people that are waking up every day and doing something about it. So I think that that's a little nugget of hope for everybody. <laughs> I I, com I completely agree. And I think I've said it before. I think networking and connecting with like-minded people is so, so, so important. Finding yeah. that community, especially when the community that you're seeking is a minority community statistically. Mm -hmm. I think it's all the more important to find that and to realize you're not crazy. You're not alone. Yeah. There are others who think like you. And it is important because sometimes, especially in a social media age, all of us can feel like we're being gaslit by the world at large. And then it can make you, if you're not real careful, it can make you doubt the very foundation of just about everything that you believe in. Um, yeah. So I think it's all the more important to connect and to reach out, have conversations like this and to say, hey, you're doing a good job. You're on the right track. Even if just something mm -hmm. as simple as that, just to remind intelligent people to stay focused in a time when being focused is probably the hardest and most difficult thing. <laughs> Just yeah. staying focused on a problem and not getting distracted by all of these other things. That's a remarkable thing. And that's why I seek it out, um, yeah. which you have, have done. So we're basically at the end of our allotted time. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and sitting down and explaining your story. I think it's really cool. I can't wait to see how far it goes. Um, I would love to have the technology. I don't have a commercial building, but if I, whenever you get into the residential game, I okay. would love it because I got a rickety old AC that is probably using double or triple the amount of energy that it needs to be in general. So there's a lot of room there. Um, yeah. Last, I'll leave the last closing words to you. Any sort of parting wisdom, any thoughts that you've learned, anything worth sharing for anybody who wants to make some kind of difference but isn't quite sure how? Yeah. I mean, you know, find the thing that you can wake up and, and work on every day and you don't have to solve every problem and you don't even have to solve one problem. You can just work towards it and that can be enough. And, you know, if we all just kind of do that and find our one thing, then I think the world will be a lot better. Um, so that's what I'll leave you with. That's great. And if your significant other constantly tells you that you're stupid, that you make bad decisions, that you're tired all the time, there's a more than fair chance that it's not your fault. It's literally breathing too much carbon it's in just, your it's environment. It's just the CO2. Yeah. yeah. So you should buy a carbon capsule like, and uh, we'll, ha we'll handle it. Yeah, we'll, it. we'll save your marriage. <laughs> put it on the quote card. Put that on Instagram. Put it on yep. Twitter. Done deal. Thank you, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, and where can they check you out and support your work? Uh, carbonreform.com okay awesome Joe Norris thanks so much it's been a pleasure and with that the official podcast is over 
Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.